Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Folks, welcome to Draft Sickos. I am Maxwell Baumbach, and this is the show on the No Sings NBA podcast feed and YouTube channel, where we discuss everybody from the biggest stars to the deepest sleepers. As I said, I'm Maxwell Baumbach, and I'm joined by the real star of the show, Stephen Gillespie. Stephen, how are you doing today? Well, Maxwell, I appreciate that. I'm doing great, man. It's been a fun weekend. I was just talking to you beforehand, but my wife just got home from a little uh, girls retreat, so... I was on full-time dad duty all weekend. She made it home today. We were all happy to see her. So uh, falling back into the swing of things, man. How about you? How was your weekend? It was good. Uh, it was hectic today, but good. Uh, yesterday, this this downtown near us, they have a thing where they set up like robot dinosaurs around the downtown area. So my daughter was going bonkers for that. She was all about the dinosaurs we, like, we go around or whatever we eat lunch and then we're like all right like let's go look at the dinosaurs again and then of course like the one that you wanted to see a second time was the biggest one which is also most out of the way uh so, sure. so that was says so a blast got my steps in though it's a good time and then today we took advantage of the weather you know can be can be finicky around here so last day of like for sure good weather so we went uh got some ice cream in this place man there's this place dairy delight if you're ever in the aurora okay. illinois area they give you a free slushie while you wait in line. You order your ice cream, and they're like, "What free slushie do you want?" And you just get a free slushie before. What you did get you get? Ice cream. Uh, so we got a coconut slushie. Was the the slushie mm. flavor we went with, and then I got an apple pie sundae. So it was like wow. ice cream, apple pie. Uh, there was like some ca- caramel syrup in there. More ice cream, more pie. It was fantastic. I feel like I'm gonna die. 
Uh, there is like a non-zero <laughs> chance that during this episode, I might just like keel over. So it's been bad between that. And I ate like 9 million cookies yesterday. Like I, I got my weight where I wanted to preseason. And then the last two days I've just, I've been out of control. Got it. Got to get celebrate. Yeah, we got, yeah, we got tr- no ceilings. Like this is, this is the preseason. Like we're in like training camp next now. Like official <laughs> season starts next week. I got to knock this stuff off. I'm, I'm worried about my off the court behavior right now. All the these best shape of your life, you. right? Yeah, I, I was until, <laughs> until two days ago. <laughs> we got, got to get that under control. So, so today's episode, uh, we are covering the G League Ignite. I am fascinated by mm. everything G League Ignite this year. So for those unfamiliar, newer to the draft space, the NBA started this experiment a few years back where they have a team that competes in the G League with a few veterans on it and then a group of draft-eligible players. Um this year, it's another really good crop. I think the difference this year is there are way more prospects on this team than there have ever been. I believe we've got seven guys that are draft eligible, not including players that are on the team that are still, you know, working towards a future in the NBA that aren't draft eligible yet because of their age. They're still so young. So it is a very interesting uh, situation. It's going to be a very different dynamic this year because it is such a young G League Ignite team. Uh, and they've already started to play some games. It's been some ups and some downs. And, and we're going to get into this group before we kind of get into the specific players. What are your thoughts on how the G League Ignite constructed this roster? Because it is different to go with this many prospects on the team. Well, I don't think that it's so much different that they have this many prospects, Maxwell. Uh, it, to me, I think they went into this roster construction more team-focused, if that makes sense. It didn't feel like they went for as many stars as they could possibly get. I think that this roster is probably the most well-rounded that the Ignite have had. And it's it's interesting, right? Because we've seen guys like Hardy, Kaminga, Green, players like that, players that came in with high high reputation but it was weird just kind of getting them to fit and gel together and Maxwell I don't know how you're feeling about it it's still early but this season looks like it's going to be probably the most well-rounded roster for the Ignite that we've seen so far yeah and I think the two things that that really help are you have Eric Mika who can really coordinate the offense as a big man and you have John Jenkins who's just a nightmarish shot maker like one of those guys yes. that you can just be right up on him and he'll he'll still score so having exactly. those two vets i think goes a really long way uh david stockton's been fine pargo mm. he's, he's been playing on this team also uh yeah he is a member of the g league <laughs> yeah. so uh it's it's an interesting squad good good solid group of vets um but let's get into the prospects and let's start with ron holland Ron Holland, the guy that is number one on ESPN's board currently. I believe Sam Vecini had him around the two spot. I have him in the two spot. Uh, our kind of initial, we did a very tentative board for the, our uh, preseason draft guide. Spoiler alert, we got preseason draft guide coming out again. Maxwell, you can't tell people that we're going to do the same thing that we did last year. <laughs> yeah, don't want to ruin the surprise. <laughs> um yeah, so Holland was number two for me on that. Where I mean, his run has he been in a similar place for you? Yeah, I think so, man. Like when I'm you know scrambling around to get these like initial boards and going through and doing the deep dives on Synergy. Shout out to the fine folks at Synergy. Um, he easily has to be within your your top three, and I can 
I could agree. I can see different takes where you might have certain players ahead or have him even number one. I've seen a lot of boards now where he has kind of risen to the top. And let me ask you a question real quick, Maxwell, before we even get too deep into Ron Holland. What do you think about, you know, like the NBL? And we're going to be talking more about NBL next week. Um, And the Ignite, they started their seasons before college basketball. Mm -hmm. And I think that some players are standing to benefit a lot by being the only names really in the mainstream right now. I think it helps a lot. And I think where you really see it is guys will have like solid games that aren't great. And there's just not a ton of noise around it. So it's like, oh, man, like this guy had a had a really big game or whatever. Um, So I I think that is where it's kind of set out the most, because if the guy like and I'm not saying this like disparage him, I think he's a really interesting player and has been really surprising. Uh, Ben Henshaw dropped 24 today. Yeah. If Ben Henshaw drops 24 in like January, I don't know that it gets the same levels of excitement and attention as him dropping 24 before the college season starts. So, or at least if he's doing it after we've seen guys like Justin Edwards play, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's like, that's the thing with Ron Holland. And like, we'll talk about Alex Star next week too. Is like, I'm kind of just keeping Justin Edwards in that one spot because that's where I had him prior to the season. And I want to give him that benefit of the doubt. I don't want to move somebody out of the one spot without a reason to do it. If that's where my perception of his, of him was coming to the season. And I want to, you know, see if he's made those same strides that guys like Holland and Saar and Jacoby, you know, Jacoby Walters, another guy in that mix. I I want to see where those guys are uh, before I move them down at all. I don't think that would be fair, but yeah. So Ron Holland, I, I, I do think has benefited from that a little bit. Um, I think some of the guys further down boards too, like we've just seen, and I think part of it too, is we've just had a lot of surprises as far as the international Mm -hmm. class so far, like a lot of guys that were not on boards all of a sudden have been like rocketed into the first round. So I do think there is something to playing in a foreign league or a domestic league like ignite where you kind of get this head start on the college season. If you're performing, if you're not performing, I don't think it's doing you any favors. So you still got to produce, but um, so with Ron Holland specifically, um what is let, let's let's kind of break into his game do you want to lead off sure. on ron or do you want do you want me to sure and um you know i, I came into the season with kind of like a funny feeling about ron mm-hmm. to me he doesn't feel and I'll, I'll lead off with this i don't know if you're drafting him to be your your number one guy on your board right agreed i don't yep. know if I don't know of too many teams that necessarily need a number one guy anymore. I and mean, we talk all the time about how deep the NBA is. And, you know, if, if Washington is drafting number one, I think they're probably looking for a number one guy, you know, mm-hmm. because they already got someone who can do a little bit of the things that Ron Holland can do and a guy like Kyle Kuzma if they don't shop him around. Right. So I think Ron Holland makes sense as like a second or third best player on a team, which is why I coming into the year, I didn't have him number one, but he does a lot of things really well that I think can help out a team that, that already has kind of like an infrastructure put him around him for, for starters, Maxwell, he's already got an NBA body. He's very athletic, very twitchy, a very good defensive playmaker. I think that he has smart hands and he's kind of like a transition starter. Like he gives you extra buckets, you know, those, extra points, extra possessions. They're extremely valuable in any basketball league, let alone the NBA. Slides his feet really well. Um, I'm happy when I watch him that it doesn't look like he bites too heavily on pump fakes. Like He he positions himself well and has a strong enough foundation on his uh, defensive stance to where he can kind of like do two things at once to where he's ready to defend you. Um, If you're looking to drive him, he's long enough to really get get up in your stuff and contest your jumper. Uh, 
a solid shooting motion too on the offensive end, uh, capable of getting into the paint despite not having like an elite wiggle to his game. Like he has some handle, but he's not like a guy that you're looking to break down the the defense and get into the uh, get to the paint on a regular basis. But he does have some moves that he can go to. Um, and I worry about his shooting touch consistently. I think that he's had some pretty erratic misses already in the early going this year to where his like shot grouping is kind of like too far spread out. And I'm not sure what to think about his passing or playmaking because right now he's kind of exclusively used as a play finisher. And Maxwell, I know that we've talked about this, but I'm excited mm-hmm. to share it here on the pod. Yeah. He reminds me so much of young Andrew Wiggins. I see the same thing. I I was going to bounce that comp off you. And I said, like I said, like I wanted your notes and it was just sitting in there and I was like, Oh, all right. Well, there we go. Steven, Steven (laughs) beat me to the punch. Uh, Yeah. I think there is a bit of that. Um, So yeah, I, I, first off, totally agree with you on the body. Like this is not a guy. And by the way, if you're listening live and you're in the chat, if you have questions about any of these guys or you disagree with anything, let us know. We'll we'll address it, answer any questions you guys have in the chat. Sure. So just throwing that out there as well now that we are live. And by the way, if you're listening to this on the podcast feed, uh, we're going to be live every week now. So come in 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern. I led with Central because in Central, we never get to leave off. I, I lead off. I, there you I'm, go. I'm tired of the disrespect. We're putting Central time first. Uh, you don't have to convince me I'm from Arkansas. I grew up in the Central. So <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're fine with me, man. So... Yeah, Ron Holland is not a guy that I watch and I think, oh, I'm worried about this portion of his game from an athletic or body standpoint. He's 6'8", already 200 pounds, but a good frame that's going to fill out. Not someone that you watch and you're like, oh, is he going to be able to slide his feet well enough? Is Mm -hmm. he quick enough? Uh, Does he jump well enough? Like none of those questions really exist within his game. Um, On the defensive end, like you said, he he can make plays off the ball because he is so quick and he is long. Um, especially in the high school film, his motor really stood out. Like he was a guy where, like you said, transition starter, but just a guy who can really exert his will on a game and make his presence felt all the time. Um, the thing that I thought was most interesting with him is there, he was a guy where there were some questions about the jump shot. And so far he's shooting well, like so far he's shooting mm-hmm. around 35, 36% from three but he's really hunting the shot. He's aggressive with it. He's taking some step backs. The confidence is there. The results look good. And he's at like 80, 85, 88, something like that from the free throw line too. So all the indicators, as far as the shot go are, are great. Um, so if you're looking at a guy who's six foot eight and can defend and can make shots, like awesome starting point, this is a really good place to start off. And I think a lot of times it's a conversation that Nathan Grubel and I've had a lot. And I'm going to bring this up again later. A lot of times in the draft space, because we are so deep in the weeds and we're watching so much film, we can get really nitpicky with guys. Um, But I think it's really important to not lose sight of the big things. Ron Holland is doing very well at the big picture things. Like, like this is a really good starting point, athletically defensive playmaking shot making Um, where I think he can run into trouble is like you said, if you're projecting him to be a number one guy, I kind of like the passing. I think there are moments where he is slinging on the go, going downhill. It shows up mostly in transition, but occasionally it'll it'll pop its head up in the half court. I don't think there is a balance to his creation right now. Mm. It feels like he's really premeditating. 
And there's times where you can tell like, oh, I'm going downhill and I'm going to pass it this time. Or there's times where it's like, I'm getting my shot off here and the shot isn't there and it's early in the shot clock and he is forcing a bad look. And that can be really frustrating. And even at a younger age, that's something that guys who end up being number one options kind of have a little bit more figured out than Ron Holland is. There's not that fluidity, reading the floor, processing part of his game yeah, I think it can get there. And I think if it does, then you're talking about somebody who could potentially be a second option on a team as long as the shooting keeps coming along. Um, but as of now, that's where you kind of get into that like Wiggins territory where like the yeah. handle can be kind of shaky. Uh, he get bumped off his spots. He'll settle for some just tough twos. You're like, oh no, I don't, I don't like that. Um, that's the kind of stuff that has to change. Um, especially like the handle. Like the handle is something that I think in, in like some of the craft of this footwork it shows up mostly in transition. So it's like encouraging, like that is sure. potentially something he can figure out, but very rarely am I like, Oh man, he really put that guy on skates and beat him with his, his craft in the half court. Uh, and then the other thing is I, I, his, his effort at the point of attack has been kind of disappointing to me. on defense. Yeah. I see that too. Um, in the intercontinental cup game, it was one against, uh, I was just using the abbreviations on the bottom of the screen. FCA. These are, they played in a FIBA tournament against other pro teams from other countries. And these are like not, great pro teams like he's not playing against real madrid uh or sure. barcelona or one of these teams uh he had a couple bad plays where he just got beat straight up off the dribble and then did the whole like like you would see like a take foul in transition where it's just like oh i'm just gonna like kind of wrap my arm around the guy and foul him and then like it led to an and one because there's a continuation rule in professional basketball and like those kind of places, like you cannot be doing that, man. Like if you're not going to be the leading option type player, and I guess technically he, he is on this team, but even that you could argue, um, he, he can't be making those kind of mistakes on defense. Like he's going to really have to guard the ball. And sometimes that, that comes up and it's, it's a problem. So, uh, I need to see more consistency from him guarding the ball on defense. Yeah, I, I can see that too. And, I don't really want to, I mean, we're no ceiling, so obviously I'm not going to put put a lid on this guy. I just, I don't watch his game and necessarily think that, that I even am anticipating wanting to make Ron Holland like a, a break you down off the dribble guy. I, I don't think that he's a bad passer by any means. I just don't think that he's going to be like a high volume ball mover or anything like that. Yeah. And, which is fine. I mean, like you can, and here's the thing, Maxwell, and I, I think that we'll get into these conversations a little bit more as the season progresses and we start seeing like the, the full crop of prospects play. If you're drafting, say, an Andrew Wiggins in this year's draft class, or even a, like, say, a Jeremy Grant, you know, someone that's going to be more considered to be a play finisher, right? Like you're still going to draft that guy pretty darn high, even if like we look at a Justin Edwards as like, you know, one of the more, perimeter like heliocentric type guys you still would take an, an Andrew Wiggins pretty high in this class which I think For is sure. a fair a fair thing to to say when we're talking about when we're comp when we're you know measuring guys based off of you know already proven NBA talent but I agree with you on, on the defense a little bit on the point of attack I also I also kind of wonder like what the defensive kind of uh mantra or philosophy is for the ignite because there's also some not very good defenders on this on this roster as well. And he's and again, Holland is kind of shouldering the scoring 
load for this team, especially in those international cup plays too, right? So it's kind of one of those things where I'm not going to beat them up. And I'll ask you this too, Maxwell, like some people have the philosophy, like defensive translation up isn't necessarily about production as it is tools sometimes. And I think that Holland does have the tools and a little bit of the production too, which doesn't, mm-hmm. which doesn't hurt either. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because I th- I think we see that way too often, right? Where like someone will have a good frame and people will be like, oh yeah, he could be like a great defender. And it's like, yeah, the great defenders are usually great pretty early. On, so yeah, it's it's part instinctual. And I will say like that aspect of it is encouraging to me that it isn't like a tools problem and that it is sort of technique and things that can get coached out and that the instincts aren't bad. Like just based on my conversations with people working in basketball they always say like it is so much more preferable to have the issue be like effort and things that can be coached through rather than like this guy has no idea what's going on out there or this guy isn't physically capable of guarding the guys that play in this league so it it doesn't have the jj reddick negative wingspan that he talks about as on his podcast all the time yeah 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 so holland i think is a very interesting player um feels pretty safe feels pretty high floor Um, really, really excited to see kind of how he progresses. Because if the playmaking balance comes along, then he can really be and stay in that that number one mix. Um, Let's move on to Modest Bazelis. So Mm. with Bazelis, he did not play in the Intercontinental Cup games. I believe it was an ankle injury. Um, He is 6'11". I believe ESPN has him third right now. Uh, At one point, he was the number one player on their, uh, I believe their initial mock draft that they did back in like June. Uh, 6'11", very tall, very thin, kind of came into the year with a reputation as this kind of big initiator, jumbo initiator playmaker. He do turbo. Um, Yes, I think that is, and that's like one of the questions I had in here is like, is he hey do? Yeah. He is big, smart, and he has high feel. Another guy who defensively like, their concerns and part of it is his frame he's a little easy to drive through his feet aren't the quickest he had a couple missed rotations in the perth games but i do ultimately think he kind of knows what he's doing and he knows how to use the fact that he's a gigantic man really well um and when he switch he know he like knows when to switch is a big thing yeah. like he knows he understands the scheme he understands what's being asked of him when a ball screen is set whether he's the person guarding the ball or he's guarding the screener um he gets up really easy too. Like he gets blocks just very easy off his feet, not a big time load leaper and he can make good rotations offensively. I think his biggest thing right now in terms of like, this is a skill that he has that he can utilize in an NBA game is shooting off the catch. He was something like a 43% corner three point shooter in high school. If his feet right. are set, he's a really good shooter. Um, with that, um, he has some ups and because he understands the game, there's some really nice starting point off ball roll stuff. He has feel, he can shoot, he can cut and he's a quick decision maker. So like the, the offensive skill set, very intriguing and easy to see in kind of a lower usage capacity. You can spot him up. He can shoot. He can attack the basket. He can cut off the ball. Uh, if he gets the ball, he can swing it quickly. He's not going to catch it, stop and survey. It's going to be a 0.5. Uh, he, he knows what he's doing out there. I think where we run into trouble is the physicality and how much it can catch up with things. So right now he is very awkward against contact. And this was an issue 
in high school too. Like if you watch the sunrise mm-hmm. tape, if you bump him, he kind of just has to pick up his dribble. Like the play is just sort of over. If you can make any mm-hmm. sort of contact against him. And with that being the case, then it really calls into question, like what good is a lot of the playmaking? Like how much does it matter if he can dribble well for his size or can make these reads? If it's going to be hard for him to get downhill, cause you can just kind of throw your body on him and then, it, then it's done. He's got to, got to regroup, got to gather, got to pick the ball up. It's, it's concerning to me, um, particularly cause he's not a great movement shooter. Like he's not a guy who can run around and get open like a, a Jordan Hawkins or a, a JJ Redick, like somebody said earlier, he's more of a standstill guy. So in, in like in the touch through contact kind of falters too. In the yeah. second Perth game, there were two plays where he just had bad misses against contact early on at the basket. So if the finishing against contact is, is an issue, if the creation against contact is an issue, and he's not a movement shooter. I think the offense can be a little dicier than it might appeal appear. But at the end of the day, he's six eleven and can really shoot. And he is smart. And I do think he's going to find a way to make things work. But I do think from a physicality standpoint, he will get stronger. But I think relative to his opposition, he's always going to be on the weaker side for an NBA player. And if that's the case... I'm not sure how high his ceiling is. And then there's questions about like, well, then who does he guard? It's, it's a murkier fit for me. And it's why I have him more in like the 10 range than the top three. And I know that's a little controversial. It's becoming less controversial, but that's kind of where I settled on him before the start of the year. And it's, I'm, I'm feeling pretty affirmed in that. Yeah, same. I have him even a little lower. I have him 12. Right. And I know that this early on in the season that they can seem like hate, but the much like you maxwell i was concerned with a lot of things but i'll start positive you know he has very intriguing ball skills you know and whether or not he is that 610 611 he might be closer to that 6869 he's still very big for for a, an initiator right mm-hmm. which is what i think the best version of matas is going to be like a, a jumbo creator right um he's a solid athlete i would even put that like i would probably say in terms of tiers of athleticism you have sneaky and then you have solid so Although he is, uh, you know, a little bit on the pale side, he is still a, he's a good athlete, right? He's mm-hmm. not, you know, your traditional sneaky athlete. Um, stronger, I think, than what you would expect too. Which is weird because, although offensively he can kind of get bumped off his spot, I think he plays a little bit stronger defensively. Which probably, if I had to pick one or the other with his skill set, I would prefer him to be a little bit more stout defensively than offensively. He has a very pretty shooting stroke. I do think though he plays kind of upright. You notice that he's like, he's yes. kind of stiff. Yeah. And that is really a, a big issue for me because if you're a high feel guy, you would like to be a little bit more fluid. And he just feels very kind of a uh, robotic and very angular in the way that he plays. Uh, finishing with touch and traffic needs improvement. Um, no reason to think that it won't. Uh, he can still get over the top of people unless it's yep. Alex Sar, where he's getting double rejected <laughs> in the, on the mm-hmm. same play. Right. I think that that's going to be the the negative highlight reel for people who want to uh, kind of knock Matos. You're going to see that play pop up a lot. Um, he's again for a creator, though, uh, and plays very upright. He's a straight line driver. He doesn't have a lot of wiggle to his game, which I think kind of hurts the ball handling uh, prospects for him at the next level. He also, Maxwell, I don't know if you noticed this, too, but he uses his offhand a lot. A to ton. Keep- 
it's, he used, like he's like he's playing football almost. And yeah, I, we used to joke there was a kid that I played with in in grade school who would always do that. And we'd always joke there was he was like it was like he was karate chopping the opponents like constantly. <laughs> the kid like also did karate and we're like, yeah, he's really putting that to use on the court. Like it's a lot of using that to get separation, and that's another concern where it's like the reason you're doing that is because you're not really able to separate. Yeah. And even though that he's going to be like one of these creators, he's a little bit more careless with the ball than I would like to think. Um, the shot grouping, like the spread of his misses, I think kind of surprised me on the rewatch of the Perth films. Cause even though he's like labeled as a good spot up shooter, he has some, like you mentioned, some very ugly misses. Um, so again, some more redeeming qualities about his game. I do think that he, You'll, again, more strong than he appears. He's not afraid to mix it up on the on the glass or do some like kind of off ball activity either. And he, again, to speak negatively though on the defensive end, he gives a lot of space to the ball handler whenever he plays defense. I think that he kind of prefers to have uh, to have his man kind of attack him as opposed to like defend an open space, which again is kind of an issue for me. And I worry about him being too high on the pecking order for a team, right? So again, kind of similar to Ron Hollins, right? You're not drafting Matas Buzelis to be your number one guy. So if you're looking at him and you're drafting him and he's going to be kind of more your like tertiary, maybe fourth highest, you know, uh, terms of priority on an offense or defensive end, are you really getting the best version of him? And so if you're too high then, I think we might. Like and that's like I, I don't like and I'm not I, like I don't want this to be like a let's dump on modest thing because like it legitimately could just be like he's going to get stronger throughout this year. And then all of a sudden he's like a legit second side playmaker who's six eleven mm-hmm. and can shoot the ball. And like if he's that, then it's it's hard to like put him out of the top eight even. But I just worry a lot about how much his playmaking can scale up given yeah. the lack of burst and issues with physicality. And here's the thing maxwell like you said it's early uh we we're friendly you know no ceilings yeah. you know yeah. we, we we root for all these prospects even the ones that we have our suspicions on so i, I think that our analysis and placement of him is more than fair you know what yeah. i mean and i think we're still giving him kind of credence to the reputation that he established for himself coming in to the year right so we're tipping our hat a little bit to that but we're also kind of pulling pulling back the reins a little bit saying we're not getting carried away with our placement of this guy, because there are a lot of real concerns. And again, with a, a class that's wide open, I don't feel like I have to have this guy top five prospect just because, you know, the high school scouting reports said that we had to, you know, and, and so kind of playing the field a little bit both ways here, because it is still really early. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think he is a good enough shooter that like, I, I think the downside isn't so severe with him because of the feel and the shot and size. Like it does insulate him a lot more. Like, I don't think this yes. is a guy where the, the floor is going to totally fall out. If it, if he doesn't reach, you know, his optimum outcome in the NBA or anything like that. Um, so Would yeah, you be modest... surprised if we saw him for another year, if we want to peel the onion back on this a lot, Oh man, I, I would be, I would be surprised. Cause yeah. he like, if I'm an NBA team and I'm picking like, even if he has like a, if he looks like this all year, it's still kind of hard to pass on a guy like that and be like, well, what if I put them in my G league system for a year? And yeah. like, they don't have to worry about seven other guys. We're just focused on like maximizing Pizellas. Like I, I think that could, could work out pretty well for a team. 
Well, here we go. It's the beginning of October. I'm already questioning. This. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I think it's an interesting hypothetical to be like disaster sure. scenario. It's this, but I do think at the same time, then we need to look at like, what is the most optimistic, like optimistic outcome. And I do think it is the second side creation stuff really popping. And if it does, and like, this is a draft where we're not sure that there is a guy that's the number one option, then like, what better than a second side at six eleven and, and can shoot the three? So, I think that's a real possibility too. I, I do think that outcome could still be on the table for him too. Fair enough. Um, let's get to uh, Eisen Almansa. Almansa is very interesting. Very very interesting. I'm sorry. I'm gonna let's let's just get this out of the way now. Is it is it Eisen or Ethan Ethan Almansa? Because I like I, the way I I'm hearing it's it. Technically Ethan Almansa, right? Okay, I'm just I want to make sure. I mean, I we're, we got all season so. to mess up these kind of foreign prospects names. I just, yeah, and I I need to get over the habit I have of watching games on mute because I like to do that just because I don't want like to be pushed into something by sure. commentary or whatever. So I need to change that, uh, especially with names at the beginning of the year. Um, Omanza is very interesting because he's very big and has a very high level of feel, hyper intelligent passer sees openings really quickly and has the creativity to like find the most op, op like the most optimum and efficient way to get the ball to his man. Uh, just very, very quick thinker out on the court can run handoffs, pass out of the post or keep it swinging. Um, in the game against FCA, he had a handoff keeper where this, this had been a question about his game is he was kind of this high skill, big man, really cleaned up in like U19s, U18s, every international competition. He's been like MVP all tournament, whatever. But there were some questions because he's six foot 10 and he's not a great athlete and he hadn't been uh, much of an outside shooter. He'll take, you know, one every couple games against FCA and the Intercontinental Cup took a handoff keeper three where it's like, oh, handoff isn't here. I'm I'm launching like it wasn't like, a, oh, well, the guy didn't take it and uh, I'm I'm open. All right, I guess I'll shoot this one. It was confident. And then a few plays later, John Jenkins hit him in the corner and he just launched that thing. Not yeah. a bit of pause in him. So that outside shot is coming along, which I think is necessary, but also super encouraging because high sure. skill bigs, if they have that outside shot, it just opens up so much more for them and what they can do orchestrating from the top of the key and from the elbow and the nail. Uh, he has the ability to bully smaller guys and finish with touch. He's 216, so he's got some weight he needs to put on, but he's not like rail thin or anything like that either. Touch is really nice in the post, and he knows how to play off the ball too. I thought his timing for when he would dive to the rim when he didn't have the ball was was quite nice. Um, defensively, he had some pretty solid slide and stay big moments. He's one of those guys where the steal numbers are always a little bit, bit better than his peers just because of that feel and knowing yep. how the opposing offense is going to flow and run what the next pass is going to be. He's um, huge. He, and he's big. Yeah. yeah. My question with him is the defense and what he's going to look like within the speed of an NBA game. Mm. Um, because his motor is not high all the time. And that can lead to some issues. And in one of the Intercontinental Cups, Cup games, I was very, very frustrated watching him because A, he doesn't really have a second jump, but mm -hmm. B, like he can really stand and watch on the glass. So there would be plays where like a big man takes a hook shot over him and he jumps and he doesn't get it, but he's completely upright and he's just watching the ball on the glass and then the guy gets it and they can put it right back up because he doesn't have the ability to just pop right back up off the floor for that second contest. Um, he... Can, yeah, stand and watch, 
rough second jump and then subpar recovery tools too. So like if you yeah. get him off your, his feet or if you do get past him, like at the NBA level, he's going to have a really hard time in those situations. I think because of the size and feel and the fact that he's not like a horrific athlete, like we're not talking about like, yeah, I'm trying to think of guys in like recent years, 36 year old Zadrona Sogauskas. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or like, uh, yeah, like he's, he's not that bad of an athlete, but he's not a great one either. And I think the, floor for how good you have to be on offense to get away with being like a lesser defensive center in the NBA can be really high. Like you need to be so good offensively to compensate for that. I think he's capable of it. Um, But I do worry a little bit about like our team's going to be able to pick on him. And is this going to be a pattern? Like he had to do so much travel. Like they've, they've had a lot going on with ignite. So I'm hoping that, that's part of why he might have looked a little bit sluggish at times in these games, but I really need the defensive motor to be very high given where his physical tools are. And I was a little frustrated by that element of this game, but where are you at with, with Almanza? And what do you like, if, if you want to kind of answer to that kind of initially off the top, like how concerned are you with the defense? Yeah, let's, let's go there because I think my notes before that game spoke glowingly of his motor because I think, yeah, Leading, I think leading up to that game, it was. And so I don't know, Maxwell, it's something I want to keep my eye on because, like I said, prior to that game, he was just like nonstop, right? So, and then you try to like factor in the human element of it where he, the G League Ignite is already extremely well traveled in their very young early season, right? So this guy is going from playing the OTE where a lot of things are kind of like centralized for him, mm-hmm. you know, like OTE did travel, but it was more centralized. The G League is, going all over the place right now. And then we know that their schedule is going to be one of the longer ones relative to a lot of these other leagues. Right. So I don't know if that was like strategic in a sense. Do you know what I mean? Like if mm-hmm. just that one game and, and right now one game is a higher volume of our overall viewing experience of these guys. Right. Like that just makes sense. So I don't know if I'm ready to say that his motor is inconsistent or if it was like just strategic because right now, like Matas Buzelis isn't playing in every game right now. So I don't know if uh, there's a lot of strategy that could be going on in there, but overall for Almanza, I came into the season and Maxwell, I I know that you ranked him really high. Like, yeah, I think I had him like five, especially relative to. Yeah. And so again, and this is one of those classes where we're going to make a lot of money. Um, just kind of like off of our own backs a little bit, you know, like scouting and doing the work because we want to not because other people are telling us where these guys should be ranked coming into the year. Right. So I had on kind of like in the late teens, like early twenties. And so you and I were watching the same guy, but we see different things. I think right now he's probably like somewhere in the middle of where you and I both ranked him. Um, if mm-hmm. I had to do a mock draft today. So I think that a lot of the things that you said hold very true for how I'm looking at him. Like he is a, very high feel, but under the basket big. So then the question is like, can you at least be Alperen Shangun, who just so happens to be one of the best passing big men that the league has seen? Like he has a lot of questions athletically, defensively, which again translate to what we're seeing with Almanza. But he his his feel allows him to be able to see the floor. I don't know if Almanza is is that right now. So then the question is, can you be like a really hard nosed screen setter? rebounder DHO option. And I think that that is available to him. And I think that there is a role 
in the NBA for that. And I started seeing like comparisons from very well-respected people within the draft community, like Rafael Barlow, even our own Corey Tolobola, like said that there's some Joe Kim Noah in his game, which mm-hmm. I, I don't think that you get that comp if you don't have high motor, but I think we kind of underrate like Joe Kim's ability a little bit defensively and as a playmaker. So good. Like was a defensive player of the year candidate. And like it is peak was like, I think fifth in MVP voting one season. Like it's a very, very high level comp to get. Exactly. So I kind of, I see that and I understand where people are going with it. To me, I'm looking at Ethan Omas. I'm like, okay, could you be Anderson Verizal? Like bar for bar Anderson Verizal, which is still a very valuable NBA player. And I think that if he came into this draft, he would probably be like a tail end of the lottery pick, like maybe late teens even. And that's kind of like where I'm viewing Ethan Almanza a little bit. So looking at my notes, we already spoke to a, a lot of the same things. Like you and I are watching the same guy. It's just like, how do we peg his skill set mm-hmm. relative to other players who have done it? And even like the needs of the NBA, is this a skill set that NBA teams are going to value? For sure. I think, I think those are all really good questions. Um, we're going to take a quick break during that break. I'm actually going to ask Steven to resend me the format sheet because I somehow lost it and I don't, I can't pull it back up. So I'm going to ask him to do that. Uh, but yeah, we are going to take a quick break here. We're going to be right back coming up on the other end. We've got, uh, Tyler Smith coming up and plenty of other players. So stay tuned. Lots of exciting guys here on the other side of the break. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Awesome. All right. So we are going to do Tyler Smith up next. Tyler Smith is a guy that I'm really, really into. So he was a guy that I, uh, we did that initial stream of the Perth Ignite game. And on that stream, I admitted I had Tyler Smith top 20 coming into the season. So, he is six foot ten, uh, and my goodness, does he have a pro body? Like he was already a guy that like wasn't going to be deficient in terms of athleticism or size or anything like that. But he came in just like hulking and big, talking about how he's been studying a lot of Chris Bosh film and things like that. So he he looked great physically. Um, 
the jump shot looks great. And I think he has one of my favorite qualities in a role player, which is that when he is open, he shoots the ball. There's no hesitation. If he gets an open look, he is taking it and he looks deadly from the corners so far. He is fantastic um, on those corner three point shots at this point in the year. Hit some at the top of the keys, hit some in the mid range. Uh, shows really good hands, like had like a one handed catch on a lob, uh, cutting to the basket for an alley oop. Defensively, he can really make plays. Another guy who, when he sits down in his stance, can really contain players at six foot 10 can slide his feet, can move with them, and then also offer occasional weak setter and protection, can contest shots really well on the perimeter, gets up well. I think with Tyler Smith, the floor is going to be high because anytime that you are six foot 10, you're able to guard the ball and you're able to make open shots, there's going to be some sort of place for you in the NBA. Um, I think where it gets like into question, I, I guess, would be how much can he put together as far as the connective elements of his game? So right now he's not with much of a handle. He doesn't have much of a counter game. Everything is very like, it's a straight line drive or I shoot it. He had some nice moments in one of the intercontinental cup games, like going downhill and like making a kick to the strong side corner when the defender came to help over, which is like, that's great. like, that is a great, just basic, simple pass to make uh, for a young player. But there's just not a ton of like extra sauce to him. And then defensively has some moments where he can get a little bit lost rotationally. I think my biggest gripe with him, and again, it's one of those like easily fixable things, is he gets kind of heavy on his feet. So if there's a screen situation where he needs to switch, he's really kind of sitting back a little bit too far and guys can get past him that that shouldn't be able to. Uh, they tried him at the five a little bit in one of those in their yeah. games had some some defensive issues with it like just isn't quite used to like being the low man at the basket and then i thought on offense like it was a real kind of ricky bobby like what do i do with my hands like, <laughs> like where he was standing like he was like kind in the dunker spot and he made one nice pass out of the dunker spot but he wasn't like quite sure where to be on the baseline and things like that but i like that they're trying that out i think that could be a very interesting placement for him given his size and his body but I, I love just the rough framework. It's like we talked about earlier. Like the rough framework is guy who's six foot 10 has a ton of confidence in his shot can drive in a straight line, has good soft hands. If you're rim running him and, and can guard the ball, um, the technique things on defense, I, I think are pretty small. I think the awareness and kind of instincts and things like that are not so deficient that I, I think it's at a place where he's going to get up to speed throughout the course of the year. Um, I I'm really enamored with Tyler Smith. Are you kind of in a similar place or are you somebody who's still more hung up by like, I'm just missing a lot of connective tissue and I'm not super comfortable jumping the gun with him. I think I'm in the, uh, in the ladder of that right now, which mm-hmm. I, I don't think that there's, I don't think that he's limited in his development by any means. It's just that when I'm considering everybody else who's in this class, uh, I, I have more questions on him than I do a lot of other players. Right. And I'll start with, again, you know, very strong, powerful athlete. Uh, looks like his jumper has improved between last season and this season, which is already like potentially a great sign that he given off seasons to improve that he's going to be able to do that. Right. Um, very good rebounder on both sides of the ball. Um, not too polished around the basket, but it looks like there's a pathway to get there. You know, he yeah. doesn't seem timid in there and he's looked like he's willing to experiment a little bit just to kind of see what works in game play, which 
is kind of like the whole purpose of the G League Ignite program, right? Like we're trying to figure out what these guys can and can't do. I'm very good lob threat, a nightmare in transition. I would not want to stand in front of this man in a full sprint. No, thank you at all. Um, <laughs> doesn't seem to shrink in lineups when there's like kind of big names on the team or like mm-hmm. even bigger players than him. Like he's kind of up for the challenge and that's the type of attitude and mentality that you want to see in a guy like that. Um, very active on defense. Doesn't seem lost on switches at all. And I think that that's the big thing too. When I'm looking at him and like the, the versatility that he brings, I think right now you'd probably be confident in the fact that he can guard like the two through the four, like mm-hmm. when he's at his absolute best. And I think that there's a pathway. Maybe he can even do like two through five, depending on the matchup, right? When yeah, sir- yeah, I think so. Yeah, if another team goes small, like I think that's, I love the G League experimenting that. And one thing that you hit on too that I thought was like so spot on is like him not shrinking. I thought in those Intercontinental Cup games, like there was one game where they were just down bad early and they subbed him in and he had so much fire. Like it felt like yep. he was the guy on the floor who most wanted to get them back in that game. Like he, has just a tremendous motor and a real competitive fire to him. And mm-hmm. I really value that kind of stuff. Like they're just not guys that like, again, like positional strength and like having that dog in you or to just totally underrated playoff skills when you have yep. the other stuff. And Tyler Smith does with the size and the shooting. So, all right, continue on. Sorry. I thought that was a great point that you made. No, I appreciate you patting me on the back there. It feels nice. You know, um, <laughs> I just got, I got a couple of things that I want to bring up and then a question I'll pose to you because mm-hmm. I feel like it's in keeping with how we've been breaking down these players. Yeah. Um, when serving as a weak side rim protector, I'm worried right now that he's a little bit too easily manipulated. I think in the That's more sophisticated fair, yeah. offensive sets that he is going to get lost. But I think if it's ball dominant, pick and roll switch, I think that he's good on that. But if there's a lot of off ball motion activity and the big man is kind of pulled away and he's got to kind of play Rover a little bit, I think that he's a little too easily manipulated now. I want to ask you, Maxwell, do you think, I don't think, and by all accounts, anything that I've heard, he seems like he's a really great worker and like not someone mm-hmm. who's going to react negatively to great coaching yeah, and yeah, advice, yeah. obviously, right? I could see him having like a long-term trajectory to being a very, very good NBA player, which is why I kind of debate where I place him on my board because right now he's very toolsy and raw. But so was a guy like Jeremy Grant. So was a guy like Paul Millsap, who mm-hmm. came into the league as an undersized rebounder. Like that was his NBA ready skill. But then by the time he gets to Atlanta, he's like breaking people down off the ban- bounce, like dribbling, passing, a very switchable defender and still a really good rebounder. And kind of the same story for Jeremy Grant, like very good athlete, um, defensive minded guy. But then he started growing as a shooter. And then he's like, okay, can I can I take people off the bounce? Can I create for myself a little bit and still be a very good defender? I I see players like that, and I wonder, like, how do we evaluate those guys retroactively? What skill sets do they have? Like, what mindset and mentality do they have? And does Tyler Smith have a little bit of that in him? Yeah, I think that's tricky because I, I also think, like, it's hard to, like, just come up with names off the top of your head. But, like, it also feels like – kind of an archetype that's easy to get suckered into, right? Where it's like, there's tools and there's like a skill, but then like also mm-hmm. a lot of it is kind of a mess. And it's like, okay, well, what if he ends up, um, what if he's Isaiah Todd, for example? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there, like that's also a possibility where it's like, oh, like he's big and like he's a good shooter for, yeah. for his age at his size. And then like, it just doesn't happen for whatever reason. Um, I think that's like my, 
my concern. And like he has been like a pretty poor free throw shooter. He was like 55% in those Intercontinental yeah. Cup games, which again, like it's a, it's a three game sample. It's 11 free throws. He was also 33% from three. Um, I, I think it's totally fair. I am optimistic with him. I love the Chris Bosch thing. I love that when they ask like, who do you mind yeah. your game after? He's like a guy who was an excellent third wheel. Like, I think he knows I'm never going to be the guy, but like, I could be really awesome at being a complimentary piece. I think your concerns with the defense are like where it gets shakier. Cause if he was somebody mm-hmm. that was a little bit more consistent in those little thing areas, it feels like it feels like you can almost play him right away if he had yeah. that stuff. And anytime you're not playing right away in the NBA, it can become dicey. Like it, like teams, we see how quickly they move on from some of these mm-hmm. guys that go in the second round. And a lot of places have Tyler Smith mocked in the second round right now. So like, if that is a thing that happens to him and a team is either in a win now situation or, Hey, maybe your star player, you know, wants an, a favor for a guy that's with the same agency as him. You could be on the chopping block. Like it's very finicky or you could be a throwing in a trip. You never know. Um, or if you're on a team that is drafting, you know, three other prospects in the second round and there's an injury to yeah. another position and they're called up and you're not, you know, like it could be something as simple and minute and like something we don't even think about something like that. Yeah. So I think with Tyler Smith, he's going to be a lot. I feel like we're going to say this about a lot of these guys coming up. A lot of these guys, it's going to be kind of like Leonard Miller last year where it's going to be like, what's the point A to the point B? Like how much does this stuff kind of even itself out and round itself out? Because Leonard Miller had some similar issues last year. It was just like, Oh, rotationally, he's kind of a mess. Uh Oh, like he makes some really bad mistakes. And then by the end of the year, like the turnovers were coming down defensively. He was a lot more keyed in like the, and the motor never waited with him too. Like he was the guy and scoot gets a lot of, you know, credit for being a really competitive guy. But last year it felt like Leonard Miller was probably the most competitive player on that team. And that's kind of the feeling I'm getting from Tyler Smith so far. So I do think that part of it is like, I can't, I don't really feel comfortable answering it right now, but I think it's a very valid uh, kind of concern to have. Okay. Um, let's do London Johnson next. So I'm a, I'm a little bit lower on London Johnson. He's a six, three guard second year in the program. Um, so I'm going to have you lead with London Johnson. Cause I'm kind of operating under the assumption that you probably like him a bit more than I do. Yeah, I, I do. I like him a fair bit, Maxwell. And, I get the I get the reservations that people have with him. And a lot of the reservations that people have with London Johnson are a lot of the ones that I share with some of the collegiate prospects that we're going to be talking about within the coming weeks and writing about over at NoSellingsNBA.com. You should check it out. It's 100% free if you want to. <laughs> um, but he's, he's 6'3". He has filled out a lot more this year than what he did last year. He looks like put on some very good functional weight Right. The thing that motivates me to place him higher than some of these other college prospects is that he showed flashes last year in a pro league. And this year he's like captaining a pro league and and is organizing a lot of this other great talent. Right. So while that not while that might not scream draftable prospect, if you can come into the NBA and play off of other stars as like one of these like undersized guards, that has immense value to some degree. Right? I have him in my top 60, but it's more on the fringe side. I would, if I have a second round pick and multiple of them, there's no reason why I would not consider taking London Johnson because he's got a very mature game, you know, or mature, if I'm going to quote, uh, you know, Pat McAfee. 
a uh, very mature game. He is orga- he's orchestrating and organizing this offense with a lot of guys who are going to be, you know, highly ranked prospects and probably get a little bit more developmental time than he will. Uh, very confident in his handle. Um, he handles contact pretty decently and has good craft around the basket. You can see where he he was teammates with Scoot last year because he does kind of like to get to that mid-range game and hit that pull-up midi, which is cool to see how like the even the young mentorship of Scoot Henderson kind of rubbed <laughs> off on a guy like London Johnson. Um, very smooth movement patterns, is very comfortable and confident to get to his spots. Um, he's not super powerful, but very capable to snake his way into some yeah. very tight windows. But he has a very vanilla game, like nothing pops, but nothing's bad either. It's kind of like Andre Miller in the sense that where it's just like, he's just going to go out there and get the job done, you know, and there's something yeah. to be said about that. Um, I think that he can be confident in his prodding and, and ability to get to the rim sometimes kind of to a fault, meaning that he can get into turnovers, you know what I yeah. mean? Like he can create turnovers a little bit more easily or turnovers can happen more frequently than I think that I would like to see has sound vision, can make good passes. He doesn't make above, he makes above average looks, but nothing that's going to be like, oh my goodness, did you see what London Johnson just did? Since he's a, you know, a 6'3 guard with second tier athleticism with average shooting, he's going to have a ceiling that other players won't have to break through. And, and that's ultimately where I land with him, where he's like a very sound prospect, but no one that I'm going to just like, gush about other than just like the maturity and his ability to just like be a grown up out on the floor at a a very young age, which is still pretty valuable for NBA teams. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to kind of lead off with just my kind of overarching concern. And a lot of this is like not even specific to him. It's more just like a trend in where basketball is going. We've seen how hard it's gotten Mm -hmm. for guards. Like it's just really, really hard if you're a guy that's six, three and under because there are so many bigger players that can run an offense now. And if you have a bigger player running the offense, why would I play a guy who's six, three and complimentary when I could play a guy that's six foot six and complimentary? It, it just doesn't mm-hmm. you know, make sense. Um, over the summer in the FIBA games, I thought what happened to a guy like Austin Rivers was really interesting where teams were just like, Austin Rivers isn't small, but we can find ways to size mismatch him in the post. Yeah. And like in the FIBA in the uh, like FIBA Intercontinental Cup games, that's happening to London Johnson already. And it's like, all right, if some of these like lower tier pro leagues can do this to him, like why wouldn't this happen in the NBA? Um, so I'm just like, I, I'm at a point with guards right now where it's like, I need you to blow the doors off me. I need to be like yes. completely just jaw dropping. If I'm gonna like spend draft capital on you, I think this is the conversation about bigs a couple years ago, and like. If the big if bigs were so easy to get off the scrap heap, like if there were nine million bigs, the Golden State Warriors wouldn't be like bringing back Dwight Howard right now. Like yeah. if if it were so easy to go find a big man, like it, I I don't know. I think that's way more true of point guards, and I think we're seeing it with even guys that like aren't a traditional point guard, like a guy like Trevor Heels or like Kennedy mm-hmm. Chandler, Sharif Cooper, uh, Ty Ty Washington. These guys that yeah. we've just seen get bounced and bounced and bounced. Uh, and very highly skilled, highly touted so players. Good. Guys that like a yeah. lot of people thought were first round players and teams are just ready to move on because there are other guys that are older, maybe more mature, a little bit more polished, a, a little bit more ready for everything that makes up part of being an NBA player that maybe we don't see every day. Like 
they can just get a 28 year old guy uh, on a minimum that does a lot of those same things. So if I'm drafting a guy that might never be worth more than a minimum contract, like is that a good approach from a draft philosophy standpoint? Like to me, I don't think it is. And that's like why I don't have London Johnson in draftable range, but that's not to, to say that maybe he can't overcome that. Um, yeah. I think what we're seeing with his shooting has been really encouraging so far. Like he's, he's hitting his threes. The volume is low. But at the same time, I don't fault him because he's working really hard to get two feet in the paint and he's doing it a lot. Like this dude plays with a real sense of aggression and assertiveness and toughness. And I like that a lot. This team needs a guy that can reliably do that, especially with, you know, Holland kind of having the playmaking balance issues that he's having. Mata struggling to to get inside the paint and and create against contact. London Johnson doing what he's doing is unbelievably important for the success of everybody else around him on this squad. Um, the pull-up shooting, like you mentioned, in the mid-range is great. I want to see the percentage from three kind of climb, but the fact that he's this smooth and, and so skilled in that mid-range area is, is important. And I think he has NBA speed. I, I do think he looks fast okay. playing against other pros, and that's really important for a guard. Um, you kind of mentioned like that he can kind of get himself in trouble. I think there seems to be like a lack of spatial awareness <laughs> at times where like some yeah. guys will get into his handle off the ball occasionally, and it's like you got to know that that guy's there. Like you got you got to yeah. be aware of that. But in general, I, I, his ball control has been very good in, in the, uh, the Intercontinental Cup games. Um, I believe. I think you spoke to that really well, too. The spatial awareness mm-hmm. is like, this is what I'm saying when it's like he can like prod and get his way into the paint, but to a fault to where it creates turnovers. Yeah. And it's just like he's, he can get to his spots with ease, but it's like, what do you do when you get there type stuff with him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that that's something that needs to come around. But in general, like the assisted turnover numbers have been tremendous. So yep. I think there's a real path because like we mentioned, like from a physical athleticism standpoint, he's in a better place than a lot of guards. The feel is in a good place. The aggressiveness, the confidence is in a really good place. So I do think there is a chance for him to break through. Uh, but just with where I'm at with guards, I'm I'm going to be a little bit lower on him to start the year. And he's going to kind of have to like earn his way up for me. But He's, and that's he's, totally doing, he's doing the right stuff. Like he's, he's doing the things I want to see and I just want to see him continue to do it and get better at it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And like I said, we'll, we'll talk about this more when we start getting into like our, you know, college basketball previews and some of our more like centralized focus writing pieces uh, on no ceilings, NBA.com uh, where I I'm with you. And again, the, the separator that I'm giving London compared to a lot of those other guys is that, he's doing it in the G league and yeah. has shown flashes last year. And he's doing it against really good talent this year. And I think something that he almost doesn't get enough credit for is like, he shot it pretty well in the G league last year yeah. for like, a, Oh, is he going to shoot a guy? It's like, he was like 34% last year. Like 17 year old pro yeah. league. Like, Hey, good, good starting point. So uh, we're going to take a final break and then we're going to be back. We're going to cover uh, Baba Carcine as well as Thierry Darlin, two very interesting prospects. Probably the guys that are lowest on boards, but you talk to certain people and people have them really high. So because they, they yep. there's reasons to believe. So we're going to get into those two coming up on the other side of the break. Stay with us. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay. 
Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, let's get into Babacar Sine. I feel like he's a guy that we were both just really impressed with from a frame standpoint yes. when we first saw him. So I'm going to kind of let you take the lead on, on him and kind of what you've seen from his game thus far. Yeah, so uh, there's been some pictures and like even just watching the game, but when you start to get like those neck up like Getty images of him and you look at him, it's just like, oh my goodness, this dude is chiseled out of rock. He's just... He's absolutely ginormous, and he has like such great athleticism already. Uh, I love that when we were watching him play live, and we were kind of commenting between everybody at uh, at no ceilings for the G League Perth game. It's just like he has the Jermaine O'Neal starter kit when it comes to like the accessories. You know, he's got the headband, he's got the arm sleeve, and the leg sleeves, all that stuff. Like he he looks like a like a 13 year old got a lot of VC on 2K and went out and just like, <laughs> just totally decked out as my player or something, right? Yeah. But, um, but speaking to his game, you know, I, I love him. And I think that there is such a, a, a tremendous pathway for him where if it's not this year, it could definitely be next. And it could be like, it could be a this year thing depending on who declares and who stays. And I know we're getting way too far ahead of ourselves, but I honestly think that there is a real pathway for Baba Carr to be an NBA player in the very near future, like he makes very timely cuts away from the ball. And that's something that's going to be huge for like a physically imposing forward, right? Who has displayed some decent shooting touch. I think better than what I was expecting uh, coming into the ignite. Uh, the the driving is very uh, fun to watch too. He's had a couple of really big games, Maxwell. And it's just, he's one of these players I think that is like extremely easy to root for because his wingspan is so long. He he has a swag on the court. When he when he's feeling himself, he lets everybody else on the court kind of know it, which is very fun to see these pre-NBA players be a little bit more confident in themselves. The athleticism really pops me on the defensive side of the ball to where I kind of look at him as like, can this guy be like a Luke Richard and Bob Mute type guy where he's like very swishable, very versatile for grow into a respectable three-point shooter, and is just able to do so much on the floor and just be such a beloved teammate that he is a pro for a long time. And the more I talk about this and think about it, like, do I have this guy too low on my board? I think that he's going to be one of these guys that where I'm like, yeah, I was way too low on the preseason. I don't know why. Maybe it was because he's an international guy coming to the G League or whatever. But I, I love him. Like, and there's noticeable flaws in his game, Maxwell. I had all the fun. I'll let you be the buzzkill and kind of poke his game apart a little bit. But I, I, I love this guy. I think I, yeah. I look past a lot of negatives when I watch him. I, yeah, I don't know that I'm gonna be the buzzkill. I, I love this. Game. Okay. I, I like. I feel like I'm in a similar place with him, like that I was with Seth Lundy last year. Where it's like okay. there's just a real bias going on that I need to like, all right, reel it in, reel it in, reel it in a little yep. bit. And then part of me is like, you know what? No, if you believe a guy, you got to roll with it. I think there's a path for him to get into the first round. He is so wow, big, okay. so strong. 
and just has that awesome body. Like he's going to be NBA ready from a physicality standpoint from the jump. He's got real deal end to end speed too. Like he's not one of those heavy guys, like a, like a David Roddy where it's like, Oh, oh like, yeah. he's big. And like, this might be a problem at times. Like, I don't, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's a, you don't hear a tuba in the background when he's, you know, running, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> he goes so hard to the basket. Yes. So in those intercontinental cup games, he was shooting almost six free throws a game, and he's a really good free throw shooter. He's like 82 Who's that in those sweet games. Touch so, too. Yes. So he is shooting threes well. He's shooting him with confidence. He's had moments where like guys will kind of like do the thing where they dare him a little bit, where it's like, I'm putting my hand up in your face, but I'm giving you a little bit too much space on the yeah. perimeter. And he'll throw the jab step at him and I'll be like, All right, I'm I'm gonna take it. Uh, I thought your points on the cutting were good. I think that yeah, he's he's really figuring out what to do off the ball. Um but yeah, like he just he goes hard to the rim and he plays tough there. So he gets the free throw line to town, like I said, but he's got kind of a level of touch and finesse against contact. Like in the mid post. Yeah, like if he's not gonna slam it home, like I I still buy that it's going in. Um mm-hmm. defensively, he's he, you know, he's aggressive, he can make some plays. Um, I think the passing is not good. Like I don't get me there wrong. We go. This guy is not There's a, bad board, a yeah. playmaker. <laughs> And this is where like the Seth Lundy kind of kind of feeling comes in. And like Lundy's a guy that I'm almost going to watch to see where I feel about Sine. And Sine, he's he's taller than Lundy and he's younger than Lundy. So like there's benefit of the doubt to get there. He's going to be playing in a pro league instead of being a senior at Penn State. Um, but he's not like a real toolsy wing who like is going to do a ton of second side stuff. It's going to be very like pass it, shoot it or drive. Not like put it on the floor a little bit. See what, see what you can get throw a counter in there. Like that's not going to be his game. Um, and defensively he can get, he can make plays, but he can get over aggressive. Yeah. There's times where he does bite off more than he can chew from like a self creation standpoint, from a shot taking standpoint, his body control can be a little shaky. Uh, he'll barrel into a guy for a charge. He can rush into mistakes. There's some lapses with rotations on defense. When it's bad, it can look pretty damn bad. But this is a guy that like the assist to turnover was like comically bad in like every league he played in prior to this year. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's like turned around a little bit. Like again, he's yep. not he's not a guy I want like running stuff, but I think he's competent and I think he's like figured out like, okay, this is what the speed of the game looks like, and here's how I adapt to it, and here are some things I don't do. It seems like he's really learning. Um, so when you add in like the physical tools, the shooting, the, the competitiveness, the attacking, the aggressiveness, there's a lot to like, like, there's a lot to like, as far as just, this is a guy that you can, can have in your rotation to, to make shots and, and get to the rim and make things a little bit more difficult for the other team and body up on some people. I'm, I'm liking Sine a lot more than a lot of other people. So here two things one that's why i kind of like the lucas sean bob mute comp is like Mm -hmm. he's not going to do more than what he's good at and he's really good at the things that he's really good at which leads me into the question maxwell i think his role in the g league right now is like the perfect role for him in the nba it's idealized yeah how does that scale up though that's scary right and i think this is going to be the first i think we could have this conversation about london johnson too right like sure with the G league now where you can play in a professional league and not have to declare. I think with Lona Johnson to me, is like the obvious one, right? 
so many point guards that stick are guys that have like played four years now. Like I, I wouldn't hate if London Johnson just like keeps playing in the G league and figuring more, and more sure. stuff out. Um, I think Sine could be the next guy. And I think if he does stay, the leap could be outrageous. Um, but I do think that's a real question. Like anytime the, the hit rate of guys that are role players at a lower level, that then come in and scale up and play that same role. Isn't great. Like, mm-hmm. cause the idealized version of this is almost like, like dream on green wasn't a role player, but like, I think people like project like, Oh, he's like, he's like the ideal role player in the NBA in a sense where it's like, he's going to yeah. pass. He's going to rebound. He's going to defend a bunch Which is of why positions. he was a second round he doesn't pick, right? take a ton of shots. Yeah. And he was second round pick, but you often you go back and watch Michigan state. And like, he was the star. Like he was yeah. the effing guy on that Michigan state team doing everything for them. It's not often like a guy that's like, Oh yeah. He scored like, six points averaged five rebounds and five assists in college and now he's in the nba and he's just a great role player doing those exact same things you usually have to kind of stand out and be special at a lower level to scale up and i do think that's another area where i find myself kind of pumping the brakes a little bit that it's like okay yes he has a physical profile the indicators are really good but like maybe it takes a little bit more time and maybe we do need to see it in a bigger role before we get too excited or put him too high on our boards. I think that's a very good point. Yeah. And that's the only hesitation that I have with him. And that's why I have in my notes is like, I love him to do the exact same thing in the NBA as he's doing now, but how realistic is it to have the exact same role scale up? And usually whenever it is, it's the more high end players. It's not the, role players that we're asking to come in and just be do what you did in college. Like it's rarely ever that simplistic in nature. Yeah. So let's get to our last pair on the board theory. Uh, Darlin, Darlin, Darlin is a very interesting guy. I've seen some people not have him on their boards at all. I've seen some people put him in the lottery. Um, yeah. I thought, so this was interesting to me and I almost want to like reach out and pick her brain on it. Kristen Peake had a tweet and this is somebody that's on the ground a lot. Like she, yeah, she just dress covers for everywhere. Yahoo. She's everywhere. Like this is not like some guy on Twitter saw him once and said this, like she made a comment about him being like the most intriguing prospect on Ignite. And I didn't know if that meant like she thinks he's the best prospect. I'm assuming she meant more like there's a lot of different directions this can go. And this is a very like interesting game that he has but for someone who has been in the draft evaluation space for a long time is very respected and like we said like she's on the ground a lot she is a draft say that like kristen peak would not say that he is the most intriguing prospect if she thought he sucked like if she thought he was bad like she probably wouldn't say anything about him i would guess i don't know her at all but that'd be my guess um he is very interesting he is six foot six um he played in the uh, NBA uh, Basketball Africa League last season yep. and in three games dropped like 23 a game, took a ton of threes and shot 35% on them. Got to the line a bunch, but like not a great free throw shooter can do some really interesting playmaking stuff, but at the same time turns the ball over a lot. Um, he has moments where it looks like he can really put the ball on the floor than other moments where his handle gets really wide and out of control. He's very willing to shoot it off the catch, off the dribble. Um, Defensively plays with a real level of intensity, knows how to use his length. Well, I am just kind of confused about, yeah, me too. And I'm very wait and see. 
Um, I like if the draft were tomorrow, I would not hate a team in the second round just being like, let's try it. Because if this kind of guy hits, like you get a total winner, you get a guy with size, playmaking, uh, defensive upside, a real competitiveness. It seems like the motor is there. Um, I need to see just him on the floor against a high Thank level you, competition yes. consistently. Like I, I really don't want to put the card out of the horse with him. Um, my question is just like, can he find a balance in his game? Because right now it is all aggression all the time. And we say this a lot. Like I would so much rather have that. I would so much rather have a guy who I know is capable of doing a lot of impactful things and saying like, all right, let's do a little bit less of this. Let's do a little bit less of that. than taking the opposite side, like we were just talking about where it's, here's a guy that can really thrive in a role. And it's like, well, is there any more to him? And what does this look like when you play people that are better? Um, I'm, I'm real wait and see with him. Do you have any firm, strong takes at this point? Or are you sort of with a, a, a similar spot? Yeah, so Maxwell, I don't know how you are when you watch a player. There's some players where I'm like, you know, we talk about wingspan so much, but I'm like Terry, I'm like, dude has some long legs. Like he might have yeah. the longest legs in in this whole class, like relative to the rest of his body. Um, I, like you're saying, man, he loves to attack the rim. Uh, he has a few really good moves that where he can get past as an initial defender at a solid clip. Not afraid to get in contact and and, and get into the paint. I love that he doesn't feel rushed you know, more times than not when he is surrounded by people. I think that's like when he's at his most comfortable and he's had some pretty crazy misses where like, it was just like a one-on-one -on -one thing, but when he's heavily contested, he's hit some really pretty shots. So kind of like how you were saying, like the consistency on the shot making is kind of, it's kind of wild, right? Like the jumper, the jumper has some stuff to it. The makes look great. The misses worry me. The shot grouping is very wide and sporadic. Um, I worry about how he looks with other players that are of similar caliber to him, man. Yeah. Like, and like you're saying, you, I want to see him on the court with similar minded talent. And like, there is, this is no shot at the, at like Africa basketball mm -hmm. leagues or anything like that. But there's a reason why, like, if you're looking comparatively to some of the other professional leagues, why it's, it's not the best level of competition. Like mm -hmm. you still get some very talented players and a lot of them come stateside or go to other leagues before they just will stay in like an African basketball league, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, I, I just, I want to see it with other talent because I think with the, the level of talent that he's playing around right now, he looks like a star, you yeah. know what I mean? I, and, but I wonder like, is he Tavion Kinsey? You know what I mean? Like coming out of Marshall. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, like is, that is level he... of, I think he's a way more willing shooter than Tavion Kinsey. And like, I, I like Tavion Kinsey interviewed the guy. Like, him. I love, like, yeah. I, I think he's really interesting, but like with Kinsey, it was always like, why aren't you shooting? We're with Darlin. It's mm -hmm. like, Oh, you're, you're You're going to do that. Like, I don't have questions about if you're going to do that. I think that is an upside differentiator. And like why it's like kind of hard to not have him on your board. Like for me, cause it's like, Ah, if you're willing to do all this stuff, it's just a matter of like, what does it look like against good competition? And like, can you find a level of restraint? Yeah, I think I'm, he's the type of player, Maxwell, or like, you don't, we, I'm glad that we don't get our final grades off of our preseason boards, you know? For sure. I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm completely okay with Rogering up by my two or 3.0 and being like, okay, I finally see it. He is like, the epitome of that type of player to me where like, I don't feel like I have to be in a rush to say that I was in on him this early. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like for everybody that is like hats off to you for seeing the thing that I can't see, 
which happens all the time. I'm not yeah. going to sit here and proclaim mm -hmm. that I that I'm 100% or anything like that. But he is just like the type of player coming from a league that he's coming from, uh, dealing with injury already too, which is another reason to kind of like maybe question some things. But I don't know, man. Like if he proves me wrong in a month or two, I'm happily wrong and I will gladly slot him on my board. I'm just going to be yeah. kind of cautiously optimistic right now. Yep, I think I think I'm in the exact same space as you on that. Um, uh, yeah, I I just I'm very production oriented. Like guys that produce are the guys that tend to do well, and he produced at a really high level in those three BAL games. But yeah, like the the competition level isn't great, and I like there's just a lack of like role clarity too. Like what he's gonna do on the court, how well he's gonna do it. It's wait and see for me. I, I I'm yeah. with you. You know our 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 you know final uh you know our thesis isn't due at this point and i'm yeah. kind of content to to sit and wait on a guy like that but i think there's real reasons to be optimistic and i think given his age too and like the new format like if th this is a guy that i really like the g league bringing in if there's going to be this multi-year rule in place because like if if, yeah. if it's rough this year like it's okay like this guy's got plenty of time to figure it out and even if it is like this is the kind of guy that you kind of want to bet on like gun to my head i'm kind of more willing to swing on him than i am on london johnson just because of like what the upside is if it goes right london johnson's given us a lot more reasons to believe like you could put him in an nba game tomorrow and he'd be fine mm -hmm. but i i don't know how much more than that he's going to be at like the peak of his powers and we might look back at this and in a month and london johnson might be you know averaging you know 16 5 and 6 and sure. I, I look like an idiot but uh yeah i think with darlin there's a real upside case but i don't know what the like what the downside is and and that's kind of what i want to see on the court yeah and i think that's totally fair and this is where we can be in wet blanket mode now and be like mm -hmm. you know everything is so fit dependent and team dependent yep. too that you know we we like talking about this stuff all year all year round obviously but like a, a player like Terry like is a sobering reminder. I think that like, especially this early on that like it, there's so much variability to him and we haven't even seen him on the court yet, you know, to where I, philosophy plays much more larger of a, of a part that at this part of the season right now, like I said, I'm, I'm not, I don't have to turn in my thesis today. Like you said, Maxwell, mm -hmm. I, I, I'll turn it in on, on its due date and he might be on there. Yeah. 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 And I think I, I there was something else interesting that you brought up too with like the the team side of it too and team fit because teams are so much less patient than we'd like them to be. Like yes. you ran through that whole laundry list earlier of like guys that have been cut like really early on in their career that showed a ton of promise before getting into the league. I'm hoping that the third two way roster spot like changes that a little bit. Um but I think something that in the draft expansion. Space, for sure, yes. I, yeah. I think something that we can lose sight of in the draft space and like I kind of got caught up in this last year. There was a lot of guys where I was like, oh yeah, this guy will get a two-way, this guy will get a two-way. And it's like, well, they're also competing with guys that like got a two-way two years ago that are like mm -hmm. 22, 23 now, and maybe a little bit more ready and closer to giving them what a coach will want on a game-to-game -game basis and not, you know, what, you know, a team building nerd like myself will want. <laughs> think, well, you got to think long-term and whatever. Some, a lot of teams think a lot more immediately than, than we tend to. Cause their jobs uh, are on the line. Yes. Yeah. They don't have to work like, I don't have to get well Tyler Rucker did say he might fire me if we don't get enough downloads on this episode but no I'm <laughs> but yeah. like we're not fighting subscribe, for our job please, yeah. Yeah, yeah please subscribe yeah. uh so yeah I I think 
I think he's kind of an interesting guy in terms of what what teams value with him depending on how the season shakes out. And if he could be a guy where the tools are so good that he still sneaks in to the draft, even without a great season. So very interesting player to monitor. So that, that does it for our ignite. We've got a big, big show coming up next week. Do we want to, yes. we want to spoil part of it or do we want to leave people in the dark? I am okay. Spoiling a little, like we'll spoil the idea, but not the guest because okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff There's, happens stuff happens that's true there's potentially a very cool guest coming on the show uh but otherwise we will be talking about the international class uh in Mm -hmm. the 2024 nba draft i was looking back through this thing today we've got to like make some adjustments there are some guys we might take out guys we got to put back in uh so we are going to talk about that tomorrow but it is a loaded international class so there is a ton of talent in the nbl a ton of talent in France, a ton of talent leagues all around the world. And we've got a lot of fun surprises. They're, you know, coming into the year on mega, everyone was talking about uh, Nikola Durasic, and now there's two other guys on that same team that are popping up in mock drafts. So there yeah. is a lot going on in the international basketball community and a ton of fun prospects that we're going to get to cover. Yeah. And it goes back to the point that we made earlier, Maxwell, to where how much more benefit, like the NBL, the NBL is kind of, new in terms of like i would say mainstream popularity like they just signed a deal with espn to kind of stream these games because the next star program is flourishing like crazy yeah um but but euro basket and things like that we've seen these leagues have started before college basketball for for years and years and years like Mm -hmm. now i think with the draft becoming as popular as it is now and the importance of making a good first impression is is even more important now it's not even necessarily the first impression but that you make the first first impression if that Mm -hmm. makes sense like you got to get your name out there before some of these other guys and that's why we're having to kind of revise our our player list and you know again for next week maxwell we're going to have a guest on too where you know everything works right that we're going to get to kind of probe a little bit more behind the scenes and i don't know if this guy has been on very many stateside podcasts so i'm very excited for the opportunity to have him on yeah, but it is a very loaded international class. And I think, again, like I, I mentioned when we talked a couple weeks back, like I, I'm always really hesitant about the bad draft narrative. And so far, like we've had a bunch of just surprise international players, like a guy like like Lockie Ulbrich, where it's just like nobody was talking about him a couple weeks ago. And then you see him in the NBL and it's like, Oh, this might be a guy. Like this could be a guy this year. Or Huck Purdy, who everyone gave up on last year, who after years yeah. of loving the guy, I'm just like, okay, like I guess he's aged out or whatever. And and now he's a real name again. Yeah, there's a ton of players that I don't think we were prepared for. And I think a lot of people in the public spaces weren't prepared for. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's great. Like this is why you Fantastic. don't go into the year being like, oh, the draft stinks, the draft is bad, boo-hoo. I'm not excited about the draft. There's always surprises and we're getting a ton early. So I'm very excited for that episode next week, but thanks for joining us on this episode. We appreciate it. It's been a blast. Make sure you are subscribed to our podcast feed, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've got so much YouTube content coming down the pipe this year Mm -hmm. and subscribe to Substack, no ceilings, NBA.com. Steven, do you have written work this week or are you next week? Yeah, I, I actually just had, um, my the second part of my rescoutables thing dropped yeah. this uh, past Friday. So for anyone who hasn't got a chance to check it out, please do because I've gone through the front court and the back court now. 
but um nothing in the works uh for for next week i i really you're kind of spurring me on i need to start thinking about those things because we got all these fun projects going on for no ceilings nba that that i've kind of given the forefront of my attention and got some very fun shows lined up for this week too so uh i do need to start thinking about some written work how about you maxwell what you got uh, yeah, so first off, definitely read the Reese Gattles, uh column. Jalen Bridges gets gets some coverage in there, a guy who I really like a lot. And Jalen Tyson, who is the guy that we were texting about that just feels like hasn't really gotten the draft buzz, but has a very interesting game and could have a big opportunity yep. at Cal this season. Um, my written work, I'm kind of sitting on it a little bit right now because it's going to mm. come out. We got two columns coming up, 10-9 and 10-16 are the dates on those. We got two interviews in the can with high major prospects that are on yes, every, we do. every draft board. So stay tuned for that. So make sure you are subscribed to NoSeilingsNBA.com for all that. But that does it. Steven, any final words for the sickos out there? No, just uh, stay sick, guys. This is uh, content for y'all. Hopefully you're liking everything. And you know, continue to stay with us because we. I kind of like this doing live business, Maxwell. Mm-hmm. It's more fun. Uh, we're starting to see some people kind of talk, you know, underneath this here and having good conversation. And any any way that we can facilitate any sort of draft conversation, you know, it makes my my sick little heart warm. You know, so I'm glad to see it. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We'll be back next week, but stay tuned for all the other great shows on the No Slings NBA Network throughout this week. Have a great night. Take care. Much love, y'all.